How's everybody doing? Cool, cool. Um, hey, if you brought a smartphone with you this morning, you can use that to follow along with the things that we're going to be talking about. If you have the Uversion app, you can open that. You can click on the Live tab, which is uh, on the left, and search for the Well Austin, um, and it will take you to the notes for today. If you uh, don't have Uversion and you still want to follow along, you can type that incredibly long link uh, into your browser, and it will take you there. And so there's a couple of places for you to ask some questions, uh, or actually questions are asked of you and you respond. Um, there's things uh, that you can follow along and take notes, and there's also the scripture for today. So you can follow along with that. That would be super helpful. Um, well, I wanted to start off this morning by telling you a few of my favorite things. I've heard a rumor that maybe there's another person who does that. Um, I think her name is Oprah, I guess. She does like her favorite things or whatever. So just consider me like the male version of Oprah. And um, I want to give you some of my favorite things. Um, one of the things that I have that is kind of one of my favorite things is, uh, is some music. And I'll mention only two. We could talk about it a long time, but two of them. One of them is Michael Buble. That would be one of my favorites. Okay, I see like two people were excited about that. Um, and then at one point in my life, it was probably, I don't know, two or three years ago, I became, I want to see if anybody knows what this is. I became a directioner. Does anybody know what this is? A directioner? Like... <laughs> Three people know what that is, um, and so One Direction, I kind of like them a little bit. Um, and so then I started thinking of some other things other than just music, like what are some TV shows that I like? Um, how about Cake Boss? Anybody ever watch Cake Boss? Okay, a few people, all right, a few people. Um, he's inspired me to make a few cakes. Um, and then another TV show that I kind of like is uh, Say Yes to the Dress. Anybody ever see that show, Say Yes to the Dress? Now, here's what some of you are thinking. Like, I, I, I'm good at this. I know what some of you are thinking. Some of you are thinking either A, Bob, I need you to turn in your man card, or B, I was convinced that you never had one to begin with. But here's what I want you to know. Here's what I want you to know. When you have an intimate relationship with someone, you begin to like the things that they like. And because of my daughter... Those are some of the things that I like. Like left to my own devices, would I like say yes to the dress? Probably not. Would I like Michael Buble? Definitely not. And for those of you, I know there's a few of you who are booing me now. But those aren't things left to my own devices that I would naturally like. But because I have an intimate relationship with my daughter, those are some of the things that I like because she likes them. So we listen to some of that music and we watch some of those shows because she likes that. It works the other way too. Left to her own devices, would my wife like to watch the best basketball team in America, Duke? Would she like to watch that? No. All right, all right. I knew I liked you. Um, would she like to watch that? No, probably. that probably wouldn't be her choice. And so when you have an intimate relationship with someone, you begin to like the things that they like. The same thing is true when we start talking about having a relationship with Jesus. If you have a relationship with Jesus, you will begin to like the things that Jesus likes. And it just that's the way that it works. And so the more that you fall in love with Jesus, the more you're going to like the things that he likes. And at one point, what happened uh, is somebody asked Jesus, what is the most important thing? Like if I'm supposed to do something, I need to know, like he, this, this guy wanted the cliff note version. Like if there's something that I'm supposed to do, I want to know what that is. 
And so we're going to look in Mark chapter 12 briefly. Mark chapter 12, starting in verse 30, we're going to look there briefly. And so Jesus is giving him uh, uh, the answer to his question. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And I think Jesus starts off by telling him, you have to have some sort of emotional connection. And I think there's a lot of things that go along with the emotional connection. I mean, I think you could even put in there, along with the emotional connection, some sort of like treasure connection, like a financial connection. Because where your treasures go, that's what you're affectionate about. But he says heart. And then he says, and with all your mind... And I think one of the things that's really important to know is that, we, that he's talking about intellectually there. Like it's important for you to begin to think through the things that Jesus teaches and how to apply those to your life. So there's this intellectual component. And then he says, and love God with all your strength. And I think what he's telling us there is like there's next steps in our relationship with him. Like there's things that we have to do. It's like there's action steps. So when he says love with your strength, it's like some of you know that you don't spend time reading God's word. And so one of your next steps is to begin to do that. Some of you know that you're not consistent in attending either a small group or, or worship on Sunday morning. And that's a next step for you to become consistent in that. And so I think that that's what it's talking about there. When, it's, when he says strength. And then he says in verse 31, and the second is this, that you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Now, some of you are frustrated because you think that I just didn't know what I was doing and I skipped a part, right? If that was you, raise your hand. Two, three people in the room. So either it doesn't bother you that I skip parts of Scripture, or B, you're not paying attention. <laughs> either way is fine with me, I guess. I would rather you pay attention. Um, so... But it says right there, the second one, it says, and I'll just read it from the beginning. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he says, and with all your soul. And I think Jesus throws in this soul part to talk about that deepest, most intimate part of your being. And so he, has, he throws in all things that encompass us as human beings. And one of the things that he talks about there is your soul, your deep, the deepest part of your being. And so if you've said yes to Jesus, this intimacy that we're talking about, it's important that you understand is an ongoing process. Like, I don't believe in human life that there's such a thing as love at first sight, okay? Um, though, and some of you would want to argue with me and say, yes, there is. You, no, um, those are called hormones, um, and so it doesn't actually have much to do with love. But with consistency and intimacy, you can grow in your relationship with someone, okay? I think the same thing is true in your relationship with Jesus. It's a process, not an event. And so as you begin to spend consistent time with Jesus, your intimacy with Jesus grows. And as a result, you begin to care for the things that Jesus cares about, okay? Does that make sense? So now the question becomes... Well, what is it that Jesus cares about? If that happens, if we begin to care about the things that Jesus cares about, then the follow-up question should be, well, what does he care about? Because we need to know what that is. And so if I were to ask you the question, what do you think that Jesus was most passionate about? What was he most committed to? Just think about some of those answers. Like, you don't have to shout them out. I just want you in your mind to begin to think about some of those things. And I wonder what some of those answers would be. Like, somebody would maybe say, well, he's most interested in glorifying God. Well, it's hard for me to completely argue with that because I think that that's partially true. But if that was the only thing that he was interested in, then maybe he would just stay in heaven, right? 
So maybe there's something else. Some of you might say, well, he's interested in theology. Um, that's hard to disagree with because I think that he says that scripture is important in our life. So that's hard to disagree with. But if that was the only thing that he was interested in, then when he came on earth, he would probably gather around a bunch of religious people and have a Bible study. Who are the people that he was most often fighting with? The religious people. So I don't know that that's maybe his, his top priority. I think it was a priority, but not his top one. So what was it that really mattered to Jesus? And I think there's tons of things that you could put on the list, but one of them that jumps out to me is he desperately cared about people who were far from God. It was something that he desperately cared about, and he was constantly interacting with people who were far from God. And so as we take a look at some things this morning, I think that it's really important that we understand that that's one of the things that he was desperately interested in is people who are far from God. And so then the question becomes, as he spends time with disciples and people who had said yes to him and now and you read along and you start reading in the book of Acts the formation of the church and you see what people who are interested in the church uh, care about. They cared about what Jesus cares about. And I don't know exactly how many times because I didn't count. I'm just going to take a random guess. Approximately 12, 10, 13. It's approximate. So it's, it's going to frustrate some of you. But in the, in the book of Acts, Numerous times, can we just say multiple, is that fair? Can we just say multiple? Multiple times in the book of Acts, it says the early church cared about people who were far from God, and they started telling people about that, and many times it says a large number of people said yes to Jesus. Well, that's my terminology, it didn't, doesn't say that. Large number of people were lost and became found. Large number of people became Christians. And so if that's true... So Jesus cared about people who were far from God. The early church cared about people for, that were far from God. Then what can we learn from them? I think that would be a good question to ask. As a church, if that's what we desire to be, if we desire to be a church that cares about the things that Jesus cared about, if we desire to, to care about the things that the early church cared about, what can we learn from them? And so we're going to take a look at some of the things that we can learn from them. The first thing that I think that you and I can learn from them is we can learn to live by faith. Simply live by faith. And not like, I think the English language stinks on a lot of levels. Because we say the word faith and we're like, I, all of you probably have a different definition of what that means. And so I'm going to give you uh, my definition of what it means. I think when, it said, when we say we should live by faith, I think we should say living by flying faith. And what I mean by flying faith, this is a, a silly illustration, but I think it will help you see what I'm talking about. It's one thing for me to say that I believe that airplanes can fly. We can walk out of here right now probably and see Southwest fly by and we say, I believe, I have faith that planes can fly. And some of you would say, okay, yeah, but so what? So then I can say, I believe so much. I have so much faith that planes can fly. Let's drive to the airport. And we drive to the airport and we sit in the uh, cell phone lot and we watch planes land and take off. And I say, I have faith that planes can fly. That's still not flying faith. We could, I could say to you, I believe so much that planes can fly that I buy a ticket. We go in and we get there. And you know when you, the I don't know what is that thing called, the jetway, the little ramp thing. So you're walking down the ramp and we get there. And I stand one foot on the ramp and one foot on the plane. And I say, I have faith that this plane can fly. Is that really faith? 
It's not the kind of faith that I'm talking about. What if I did this? I'm in the jetway, I'm in the plane. I'm in the jetway, I'm in the plane. And then they say, okay, we're about to close the door, and I step outside the plane, and it takes off, but I have faith that the plane can fly. It's still not the kind of faith that I'm talking about. The kind of faith that I'm talking about is I actually get in, I sit down in a seat, and I stay there, and I just go where the plane takes me. Flying faith. And I think the early church had, had that kind of faith. They had flying faith. And the reason that they had flying faith was because some of the great things that they got to experience. Um, they actually, some of them saw that Jesus came to earth for the forgiveness of sins and they believed that. Some of them had, had heard stories and some of them had some experiences, but they actually had faith. They believed that Jesus died on a cross for the forgiveness of sins. They had faith. They believed that Jesus came back to life. They had faith. They believed that Jesus commanded us to actually change the world, and they went and did it. So it was more than just words. There were some actions to what they believed. There were some actions to what they believed. Now, when we start talking about us as the well, the question becomes then, well, what do we, how can we do that? And here's the thing that I know about me and that I assume about you. We all have preferences. We all have preferences about what church should be like. But what I really want and what I hope that you want and what I'm going to attempt to show you today is that what you and I really need is not the kind of church that we want, but the kind of church that Jesus wants. And what that means at times is we have to sacrifice some of our preferences. We may not always do the things that I want to do. We may not always do the things that you want to do. But when we understand that if we're going to care about Jesus, we're going to care about the things that he cares, cares about. And one of the things that he cares about is people that are far from God. And so then the question becomes, how do we do that? And so I don't want the kind of church that I want. I want the kind of church that Jesus wants. And I think what that represents, like a byproduct of that is we see lost people found. We see addicted people released from their addiction. We see families staying together. We see people served, that's the kind of church that I want us to be, not necessarily the kind of church that I want. Like, if it was the kind of church that I want, like, we'd be having, like, techno music all the time. Like, that, if, it was my, if, it, if that was my preference. But I know that that's not always the case. The second thing that we can learn from the early church is to live like Jesus. I think there's a lot of words that you could use to describe, but they lived like Jesus and I'm just going to give you three. They had compassion, kindness, and forgiveness. Like there's probably a ton of words that you could use, but they had compassion, kindness, and forgiveness. And I want to read one quick story from Acts chapter 3 of what this looks like for them. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 1, it says, Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And the man lame from birth was being carried. So basically, here's what happens. If you had some sort of physical ailment, you were, you were looked upon as something was really wrong with you. You did something. You sinned. Your family sinned. Something was really bad, wrong with you, and people didn't want to have anything to do with you because if they did, they were afraid that they would catch what you have. 
They weren't allowed to go into the temple. They weren't allowed to, to go in and worship or to ask for forgiveness. So they came, they were carrying him there. They laid, whom he laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the beautiful gate to ask for alms of those entering the temple. So he's laying out there and he's begging for money is what's happening. So he's laying out there, he's asking for money. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. So he's like, hey, you got something for me? Help me out. Uh, Verse 4, and Peter directed his gaze at him as, as did John and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them. And I think the reason that that's in there, one of the reasons that that's in there is the dude was probably like, he's just laying there and he holds out his little basket saying, give me something. And he doesn't really interact with people. Why does he not interact with people? Because they don't interact with him. Like they just throw him some money every once in a while and go about their business. Um, So he fixed his attention on them, Peter said, I have no silver or gold, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. In verse 7, and he, and he took him by the right hand. Why is that in there? Because he touched him. Like he wasn't, he wasn't afraid to get involved in somebody else's messy life. Like, maybe your life isn't messy, but I don't know if you've noticed, like, a lot of people's life is messy. And it's really easy to not interact with them. It's really easy to walk past them. It's even really easy to walk past them and flip them a buck and hope that you can go about your way and feel better about yourself. But they got involved in his life. They touched him. They grabbed him by the hand. And they raised him up, and immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And then I love this part of the story in verse 8. And leaping up, okay, and leaping up, he stood up and he began to walk. But not just walk anywhere. And he entered the temple with them, a place that he was not allowed to go, walking, leaping, and praising God. Okay? Now, I'm a visual person, and so I don't know what that does for you, but I can see this guy. He comes in the door, and he doesn't go to the side. He goes down the middle of the aisle. I don't, they didn't have, but I'm just saying. He comes and he walks down the aisle, and he's jumping up and down, and he's going crazy. And you know what this reminds me of a little bit? This is a different sermon, and we don't really have time to talk about it today. But this reminds me a little bit about what is it like when we come in here? And we know that we've been rescued from a lot of stuff because you know what your life has been like before Jesus. You've been rescued from a bunch of stuff and we get in here and it's time to sing and we kind of stand up and we kind of stand there. We look at the words a little bit. We mouth the words a little bit. This dude's life was changed and he wanted everyone to know about it. And the question that I have for you is this. If your life has changed because of Jesus, wouldn't you want somebody to know about it? I'm not saying that you have to come in here skipping and jumping and screaming. But I'm saying it's a big deal. When you realize what you were without Jesus and what you are now with Jesus, it's a big deal. And the only thing that I'm saying is just think about it the next time when you stand there and think, I don't really like this song. I wish we were singing a different song. I really don't like it when they play that thing. I wish they didn't play that thing. 
just think about those things. Because the reality is when you've been rescued from much, I think it changes your perspective. And so that's what happened. Live like Jesus. The third thing that we can learn from the early church is to live with boldness. And, and I need to throw in an extra thing here because I'm saying live with boldness but not arrogance. Do you know what I'm saying? Like I think there's a difference. Have you ever been around one of those arrogant Christian people? To be quite frank, this is one of the reasons why I don't like being a pastor is those arrogant Christian people. And if you wouldn't think less of me, I would probably call them a few other words. But have you ever been around some of those people? Like, they're the grumpiest people ever. But they think that they can just say whatever they want. They're the people that all the servers at the restaurants on Sunday hate when church gets out. It's true. They hate it when church. If you don't believe me, ask them. If you, how many of you have ever waited tables before? How many of you hated working on Sunday? Because you know what happens? Church gets out and the grumpy people come in to eat. And the bad tippers come in to eat. Wouldn't it make sense to you and to me that the church people should be some of the happiest people that they encountered when they went out to, when they were working? Doesn't that make sense? And so what I'm saying is live with boldness but not arrogance or rudeness, okay? And what I mean by that is sometimes we think, well, look at what she's wearing, she shouldn't be wearing that. Well, maybe not, but there's a good chance that she doesn't know Jesus. So that's not a place where she's at in her life. So stop beating her up over it and show her some compassion, some kindness, some forgiveness. Do you realize that the Christian church is one of the only organizations in the world that beats up on their own? And we say stupid stuff. Uh, this, I shouldn't even go there, but I'm going to tell you about this video that I just saw online. Don't go watch it because this lady is dumb. You may have seen it and you may agree with her. And if so, then I don't know where that puts you. But this lady is out there making this video saying that a specific energy drink is from the devil. And I don't know if you've seen this. So basically she's saying that this energy drink is from the devil because when you tip it up, <laughs> it just makes me laugh. When you tip it up, it makes an upside down cross and all that. And she's got this whole long explanation. And so basically she says, if you drink this drink, you're going to hell. The last time I checked, I'm not sure that that was the criteria to get in or out of hell or heaven is whether you drink a particular energy drink. I don't think it has anything to do with that. But sometimes as if you're a, a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should live with boldness. And I'm about to talk what that looks like, but not arrogance. There's a difference. So Peter and John, as they told this guy about Jesus as he gets healed, as he runs into the temple skipping, yelling, screaming, saying, check it out, I can walk. Basically what happens is the religious people said, what is going on here? You guys got to quit talking about this Jesus stuff. If you don't stop talking about Jesus, we're just going to have to kill you. So it's really interesting. As we talk about living with boldness, there's an interesting thing that I want to point out in Romans chapter 10, verse 14. It says, how then will they call on him who they have not believed? Talking about people who are far from God. And how will they believe in him who they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? 
You know what happens when you read that verse is you automatically assume that that's Tori's job or that's Bob's job, and that's not what the verse is talking about. How is somebody going to hear unless we tell them? And how are we going to tell them unless we're bold and sharing what Jesus has done in our life? Not arrogant. Like, we'll talk about all kinds of things. I even mentioned it a while ago, and some of you didn't care about it, or you did care and you didn't say anything. But have you ever noticed how we'll talk about sports boldly? Whatever your team is, whatever your colors are, you'll talk about that boldly. Have you ever noticed how people will talk about politics boldly? Like, they'll argue about that and say, well, my belief is right, and my system, and my person, and my thing is right. And you'll say, no, this is right, this is right. And we'll talk about those things boldly, but then when we know that we're supposed to talk about Jesus boldly, you know what happens? So many times we don't, myself included. You know, I think part of the reason is like we get our palms start getting sweaty and we know that this is a conversation that is way bigger than sports. It's way bigger than politics. I think another problem when we look at scripture is, you know what we think when we read scripture? I, this is, a, this is a, a new revelation for me. I think this is true. Part of the problem with when we read scripture is we make an assumption that everybody that we read about in the Bible is supernatural. We make that assumption. Okay, do you, do you realize that there's only one person that you read about in the Bible that is actually supernatural? Jesus. Everybody else, do they tap into the supernatural power of Jesus? Yes. But they're just like me and they're just like you. And they do some incredible things because they're tapped into the power of Jesus. And we read about the stories in the scriptures and we say, well, I can't do that because they're supernatural. They're just like you and just like me. And so if you skip ahead into Acts chapter 4, this is what happened. So that basically they were told, quit telling the people about Jesus or we'll have to kill you. Acts chapter 4, verse 29. And now, and this is kind of their prayer, and it says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Quick question for you. Why are they praying, asking God to give them boldness? Why? You know why? Because they're scared. That's why. They're asking God, we need your help. You, we need you to help make us bold and speak your name. While you stretch out your hand to heal and signs of wonders and performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, so they prayed asking God to give them boldness. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled Filled with the Holy Spirit. And what happens when they were filled with the Holy Spirit? And can, they continued to speak the word of God with all boldness. That was the result. They prayed. They asked God to give them boldness. The Holy Spirit came and gave them boldness. Not arrogance. But boldness. To speak the name of Jesus. Quick question. This isn't going to be a pleasant question for most of us. And it was not a pleasant question for you. I mean, for me, it won't be for you either, probably. I ran across this question, and it was incredibly challenging. If the past week, if God answered every single prayer that I prayed, if God answered every single prayer that you prayed, 
how many lost people would have been found? How many people would have said yes to Jesus? That one hurt me. Because you know what I had to say? Zero. Like we pray about all kinds of stuff. Sometimes we pray about stuff and we don't even know why. And all I'm asking you to do is to, that that simple sentence will convict you and it will convict me that we will begin to pray seriously about speaking the name of Jesus boldly to one or two friends that we have. There's a, a poker terminology. One time we had, we've only done this once since I've been at the well, but we had this Texas Hold'em tournament. And just by the way, I think I, if I remember correctly, I was the one that won. Um, but there's this terminology when you're playing Texas Hold'em that if you have a hand, either you're lying or you have a hand that's really good and you're pretty sure that you're going to win and, and you say, I'm all in. I'm all in. And that's the question that I will ask for you today is, are you going to be all in? Like, I'm pretty sure if we read scripture, it was pretty evident that Jesus was all in for you. He was so all in for you that he gave up his life. Now the question that I have for you is, are you going to be all in for him? Let's pray. God, I thank you for this morning, a chance to be together with your people in this place at this moment. And God, I pray that you would convict us. God, I pray that you would help us to learn. That we would learn from the early church. God, I pray that you would give us compassion and kindness and forgiveness. I pray that we would live by faith not just a surface kind of faith, but a flying kind of faith. And I pray that we would speak your name boldly because we know of the power of your name, Jesus. And as we continue to pray this morning, maybe you showed up and you, You've been far from God for a long time, and maybe today is the day that you hear the name of Jesus being spoken, and you just simply want to respond yes. Just ask him to forgive you. Jesus, we love you. We acknowledge that you died on a cross for the forgiveness of our sins, that you came back to life. And God, as a church, I pray that we would not simply shine your light inside of a school cafeteria, but we would shine your light every day as we go about our job, our school, our work, our play, our neighborhood. God, my prayer is simply that you would change us 
and then that you would use us to change the world. In your righteous and holy name we pray. Amen.